Well, turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1 as we continue this, or as we begin this morning, a study of this Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. Not only is this book one of the the key books of the Old Testament, but it is one of the most fun to study. As we look at this book, we're going to see, and this is what we put it, we're going to see the flow of the nation of Israel from the time of the judges, we'll talk about who they were in just a minute, to the time of the kings. And of course, when you think of the kings, you think of Saul and David and those kind of things. We're going to see that. First and second. Samuel go together. The book is filled with people, famous people like Saul and David and Goliath and Jonathan and Samuel and all those kind of people and their battles in there and they're the Philistines. We've always heard about them and those kind of things. This the story, this, this history book takes us really from the last judge, which is going to be Samuel, to the first king and then on to the second king, David, Saul and then David. And so there's so much there. There are great truths and principles. Let me just remind you of this. What we're going to see as you study the book, when the nation, and we're talking about the nation of Israel, when When the nation of Israel obeys God, there is victory and blessing. When the nation of Israel disobeys God, there is judgment and defeat. This happens all the way through, and we'll see it over and over. Now, there's a great truth there that when we as believers live by the Bible, when we obey God, when we live in the power of the Holy Spirit, when we walk in the Spirit, when we walk worthy of the calling which we've been called, when we do that, there's going to be victory in our life, and there'll be blessing. But when we live in the flesh, when we live in sin, when we live contrary to the Word of God, there are going to be discipline and consequences. That's just what we see all throughout the Bible. So as we look at this, we're going to see that we're going to see the lives of people and events and stories. Some of the stories are famous that you've heard all your life. Some are not. And we're going to see some great things as we go through that. I think one of the most famous stories from the Bible is David and Goliath. Now, I, I didn't grow up in church. I went to church once when I was six and once when I was 12. So I didn't, I didn't know all these stories. But one of the most famous ones is David and, and Goliath. And we know that uh, David was a young boy, probably maybe 14 years old. The nation of Israel was fighting the Philistines. Philistines were on one hill. nation of Israel on the other. Philistines had this giant. His, he was nine feet, nine inches tall. His name was Goliath. He would come out. And for 40 days, he went out and said, I challenge anyone come fight me if if you win, they beat me, we'll become your servants. If, you know, if I win, you become our servants. And so nobody would go fight. And then here's David at about 14 years old. He decides he will go fight. And so Saul, who, uh, who was the king at the time, gives him his armor. David tries it on. He can't use it, so he takes it off. And he takes his sling, which he has, and five stones. And he goes out to challenge Goliath. And Goliath looks at him and laughs at him and makes fun of him. And, and David says, you come with a sword and a shield, but I come in the name of the Lord. And David takes that rock and hits that guy right in the head. And what's, I love it. I remember studying it. That rock just hit there and stuck, you know. And then Goliath falls over and David goes and takes that big old sword out and cuts his head off. And, uh, you know, that's a famous story. Most of you know that. We say, that's David and Goliath. And, and, the, and this book has that story in it. In fact, the book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, which we'll look at, has all kinds of stories, that all kinds of things that many of us have heard. And we're going to see some great adventures and some great things as we study uh, the Bible, how God used men and women and why it's recorded for us. Now, we're studying the Old Testament. We just went through the Gospel of Matthew, which is fantastic. And we're looking now back at an Old Testament book, First Samuel and Second Samuel. And some people say, well, why would you study an Old Testament book? Because we're the church, and do we really need the Old Testament? Because don't we just need the letters that are written to the church? Well, the truth is this. In, in fact, there's a, there's a very prominent pastor in the country that says we don't need to ever study the Old Testament. We don't even even use it. All we really need is the New Testament. Well, I, I, I differ with that because I think we do need the Old Testament. What Paul wrote in Romans 15, verse 4 says, For whatever was written in earlier times, that's talking about really the Old Testament, was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might 
have hope. And so for the next months, we're going to be looking at the Old Testament. We're going to see how it fits together. And let me just say this to you. The Old Testament's different. It's narrative. Now, we just went through the Gospel of Matthew, which was narrative. And when you look at a narrative, it's easier to teach because it's more stories, but it's harder to apply because you have to look at a story and say, okay, what, what can we apply from that story? Now, when you do books, letters, they're harder to teach, but they're easier to apply. And so our goal is, as we go through this book, is not only you see the history and the stories and how things fit together, but to be able to make applications and see truths from our lives. Now, here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to do this. Uh, these books, of course, for our instruction. That we're going to look at the background. We're going to look just give a brief overview of Old Testament, look at Old Testament, at the history of Israel, and then we'll begin sort of a review of 1 Samuel, and then the outline and preview and all, a preview and all of those kind of things. So we're going to look at, let's start with some background, and let's think about the Bible as a whole. When you think about the Bible, I remember when I trusted Christ, somebody gave me a Bible, and it was the first Bible I ever had in my life, and of course I started at Genesis, because that's the first of the Bible, and I noticed it said Old Testament part, and so I started, it says right here in my Bible, Old Testament, so I started reading, I got all bogged down about get, when I got got into Leviticus, so I switched over to the New Testament part. And, and when you look at the Bible, people say, how can you know the Bible? I mean, it's so big. And I mean, look at all the stories, look at all the letters, look at all the things. Well, the Bible, it is a lot, but we can know it and we can put it together. When you think about the, the Bible, the Bible is divided into two big parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. I want you to think about it. The Old Testament's 39 books and the New Testament's 27 books. Old Testament has things like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's called the Torah or the law. And then they have all these history books like Joshua and Judges and Ruth and Samuel and Kings. And, all, and then they have writings like Job and Psalms and Proverbs. And then they have prophecy books or prophet books like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and all those books. You get into the New Testament and you see the Gospels. We just studied the Gospel of Matthew. Over the history of this church or over the history of me being a pastor, we've taught through almost every book of the Bible. And so the, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and Acts are all history. And then there's all these letters. And then there's the book of Revelation. So when you look at the Bible... It's, it's, it's really big, and I want you to think about something, though, that the Old Testament is actually looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ and him dying on the cross, where the New Testament is actually looking back. And so when you go through the Old Testament, it's talking about how the Messiah is going to come and how he's going to die and he's going to pay for sin and other things. And then when you look at New Testament, when you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, it gives you the history part, and then the letters, and it looks back to the Messiah. Sometimes they call the cross where Jesus died. That's the hinge. The whole Old Testament is looking forward the whole New Testament is looking back. And so when you think about that, the Old Testament sort of the foreshadow of the coming Messiah, of the Savior, while the New Testament looks back at the Messiah, the one who came. And so this is where we are. Now, here's, here's something you may not realize, that when we look at the Bible, we're looking at Old Testament. Now, we call it the Old Testament. The Jewish people didn't call it the Old Testament, or they don't call it the Old Testament. They don't look at the New Testament. When they look at the Bible, they call it the Tanakh, the Torah, the Nebim, and the Ketubim, T-N-K. T stands for Torah, N stands for Nebim, and K stands for Ketubim. That was the three parts of their Bible, which, uh, let me put this up for you, is the Torah, the Prophets, and the writings. So a Hebrew Bible, if you, went, if you were talking to a Jewish person, don't say Old Testament. Say Tanakh. Say, oh, because they don't think Old Testament, New Testament. In fact, if you say New Testament, they say, well, we don't hold to that. So just go back and say the Tanakh, the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. And the book of, of, of Samuel, 1 Samuel, is in the, in, the, uh, in the Jewish Bible. It's in the prophets. Now, for us, we divide our Bible this way, we, the Old Testament. 
the law, which is the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Then we have the history books, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. That's all the history books. Then we have the writings like Job and Proverbs and Psalms and Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And then you have the prophecy section, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, all of those books, uh, and the 12 minor prophets, all of that. So that's how we divide it. Now, when we look at our Bible, First Samuel's in the history section of our Bible. And so that's how we look at it. So when we say, turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel, you know the first five books are, are the law or the Torah, and then we're in the history section until you get all the way to Job and Psalms and Proverbs. So this is where we are, the first Samuel. Now, let's think for just a minute about how this fits together, because if you're going to study a book of the Bible, and somebody said, let's just study Samuel, you don't just turn to Samuel and say, okay, let's just start reading it and figure out what it is. Let's figure out how it fits together. So I want to remind you of something. When you think about the Bible, you go back to the book of Genesis. That's where everything started. And in Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 11, so the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, Genesis has 50 chapters, by the way, the first 11 deal with a time period of God creating Adam and Eve, putting them in the garden, the fall of man, the God's plan of salvation to send the seed of woman to crush the head of the serpent. We see the flood. We see the division of the nations. That's all in 11 chapters. In chapter 12 of Genesis, God chooses a man. His name is Abram, and he lives in what's called the Ur of the Chaldees, which is modern-day Iraq. He's living there. God comes to him and says, Abram, I want you to leave where you are and go to a place that I'm going to show you and give you. Now, Abram's name means high father. We would say big daddy. He's big daddy, but he had no kids. He's 75 years old, and his wife is 65 years old, and they have no kids, but his name is big daddy. And so God says, I want you to leave there and go to this land. So he leaves. He crosses over the Tigris-Euphrates River. And as he crosses that river, they became known as Hebrews. Because Hebrews means one who crosses over. So they cross over and they come to a land which we called, which they called at that day and time, the land of Canaan. And he gives him that land. And God comes to him and says, I have, you have this land. You're going to have offspring. You're going to have a blessing. This is your land. These people, we call Abraham the first Jew, the Jewish person. So Abraham has a son named Isaac. And Isaac has a son named Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons. And those 12 sons became the 12 tribes because Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And so his 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. And so this is the kind of the history. Everything is going good until a famine comes, and Joseph, one of the 12 sons, goes down to Egypt, ultimately becomes ruler, second in all the power of Egypt, and the Jewish people have to go down to Egypt to be saved during the famine, and they get down there and they become slaves. And they become slaves for 400 years. Now, when I stop right there, guess what? That's the book of Genesis. All of that's in one book. So if you know that, you know one whole book of the Bible right there, Genesis. Well, Exodus, the next book, is the story of the Jewish people coming out. God raises up a guy named Moses who goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, and there's ten plagues, and they come out, and there's the party in the Red Sea, and they go, and all of that. That's in the book of Exodus. And then they stop and get the law. That's the book of Leviticus. Then they wander around for 40 years. That's the book of Numbers. And then they get ready to go in the promised land, and that's the book of Deuteronomy. And so now we are all the way up to the nation of Israel about to go in back into that promised land that was promised to Abraham all those years ago. Moses dies, and a guy by the name of Joshua leads them in. 
and they cross the Jordan River. God just stops the river, and they cross on dry land. They go in. They take Jericho, the famous story of marching around the city and shouting, and the walls fall down. And so they win that, and they take over the land. And over the next period of time, they conquer the land. And after they conquer the land, everything is going good, and then they turn away from God. As a people group, they begin to worship false things. They begin to turn away from God. They don't obey the Bible. They don't, and God lets them get conquered by different enemies. And when they get conquered by different enemies, they cry out to God, and God raises up, now get ready, he raises up a judge and the, the Hebrew word for judge is sofer team, and it means a deliverer. When you hear the word judge, because I said we're going to go from the time of the judges to the time of the kings, don't think of a guy with a robe and a gavel going like this. A judge is a fighter. A judge is a warrior. A judge is a savior. Sofer team has an idea of savior. So God would raise up a judge, and this person, whether it's Othniel, Ehud, Deborah, Barak, Shamgar, Samson, all of those were judges, and they whipped the enemy, and the people turned back to God. Everybody was happy, and then the judge would die, and then they'd turn away from God, and they would get conquered, and they'd raise up another judge. That's actually 13 judges. The last judge is Sam, Samuel. He's the last judge in the Bible because he's, he's going to be the last judge, and he's going to anoint the first king. And we'll see how that fits together. So that's the history of where we are. Well, at this time, when we look at the book of 1 Samuel, guess what? After Joshua died, the nation turned away, and this is the time of the judges. And so if you study Judges and Ruth, because Ruth, Ruth is at the same time of the judges, they're all kind of problems. And so as we start 1 Samuel, the nation of Israel has turned away from God. And you've got a priest, his name is Eli, he's got two sons, and they are really bad, bad people. They're not believers, and they do evil things. That's the priest of Israel. And the people, the Bible says at this time of the judges, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Look, judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Therefore, uh, king of Israel, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. We live in a world where everybody does what's right in their own eyes. We say, well, there's certain things right and wrong. And our culture says, no, 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 no. Everybody decides for themselves what's right. What's right for me is right for me. What's right for you may be right for you, but most likely not. Uh, you know, and, and the bottom line is everybody does what is right in their own eyes. That's our world. You're facing it. You're in a world that tells you there's no values when you see the values in the Bible. You're in a world that says that you can say this is right, and they say that, that, that not for us. We can do whatever we want to do. It was happening at the same time. And so we're going to meet Samuel, who God raises up as the final judge. And we'll see what happens there. He is the final judge, and his name is Samuel. And so I want you to, to, to think about something, because this book, this book takes us from the time of the judges, the deliverers, the last judge being Samuel, to the time of the kings. The first king was Saul, and the second king is David. But both are found in First Samuel. David doesn't become the king till Second Samuel.
So let me give you, and hopefully you got this handout. I hope when you came in, if you didn't get it, we got them out there, got them on the table, got out there. This is a little card. I I forgot to even get mine to put up here, but I give you a little card that fits in your Bible. And on one side, it has this. It talks about the author. We don't know who wrote 1 Samuel, about 900 years before Christ, uh, from the time of the Judges to Kings. It gives you an overview of the book and gives you the key sections. On the back side of the card is actually the outline of the book. First seven chapters deal with Samuel. And there's revival because God uses him to turn the nation back to God. Then there's the transition to the reign of Saul. He becomes the first king, starts out good, but ends up bad. And then then it gets us David. David doesn't become the king in this book, but he is anointed as king, and we see all the things that happen. So in the, that's, the, that's the book. And if you didn't get the card, be sure and get the card. Put it in your Bible in, Sam, in, in the section of Samuel. That way you can find it easier. Plus, it's, it gives you the information and helps you as you do your own study. Now, let me break this down for you, so get ready. There's a lot of information this morning, but there are three key aspects of the book. First of all, there's Samuel. He's a great judge and a great man, but there's problems. Then Saul becomes king. Guess what? There's problems. Then there's the decline of the kingdoms, and we meet David, and guess what? There are problems, and he becomes the second king, but not until second Samuel. If you look at our world, guess what? There's problems, and no matter where you are, no matter what's going on, people say things like, oh, one of these days Jesus is going to come back, he's going to set up a kingdom, there won't be any more problems. No, when he sets up the kingdom on this earth, there'll be problems. It will not be until the new heavens and the new earth and the eternal state when there'll be no more problems. So regardless of what's going on, there are always issues, always problems. Now, we're going to meet three people in these, two, in these books. The three key people are, first of all, Samuel, Saul, and David. Samuel is the judge. He's also, now this is what's amazing, he's also a prophet and a priest. He's a very unusual man. That's why I put unusual out there. Second, we're going to meet Saul, who's the first king of Israel. He started good, but he finished badly. He, did, he started good, but he didn't end very well. And then we're going to see David. See him as a young man first, and he's faithful to serve God. That's the three main people. Now, let me, let me show you something about them. Let's talk about them. Samuel is the last of the judges, and, and he's got really three offices. He's a prophet, a priest, and a judge. Now, let me remind you what a prophet is. He spoke the word of God. Listen, it tells us in the book of 1 Samuel that any prophecy or anything that Samuel ever said always came true. So he was a true prophet of God. Not only that, he is a priest. He represented man to God. He's going to be at the tabernacle. Now, when we say tabernacle, we're talking about a tent meeting. The, the, the big temple has not been built. David gets it ready, and Solomon builds it. So that, well, the whole time we study this book, there is no temple. There's just what we call the tabernacle, and he's a priest who represents uh, man to God, and then he's also a judge. Now, remember, judge is not a judge like... Uh, you know, giving, you know, information and putting people in jail and things like that. He's a deliverer. He's going to turn the people back to God and help them gain victory. Listen, we're going to see something. I'm just going to throw this out real quickly. There's going to be a time that, uh, that Saul doesn't do what, David, what, what God tells him to do. And he, Saul was supposed to kill this bad king, and he didn't do it. So guess what? Samuel comes up and says, give me your sword. Cuts him to pieces. Samuel's job 
was to turn the nation back to God and to deliver them from their enemies. He is a final judge, a final leader in that way. That's, that's uh, Samuel. The second guy is, at, we, here's the key. Do we want to be faithful? He was faithful all of his life to do what God had him to do. We want to be faithful to do what God has for us to do. The second man is Saul. He began good, but he finished badly. When you think of Saul, listen, you know why they picked him as king? He was handsome, and he was the tallest person. He was taller than anybody else there. Now, let me just tell you something. Height is overrated. It is. It is. I just want you to know that. And so here is, here is Saul. He is, becomes the king of Israel. He is handsome. He's tall. He starts out so good. He does so many good things, but he disobeyed God. God told him to do a certain thing, and he not only didn't do it, he lied about it. The second thing is... Saul became jealous of David. God raised up David to, to defeat Goliath and to be a great warrior. And Saul, who was the king, became jealous of David, and he hated David, and he spent most of the rest of his life trying to kill David. So we're going to see Saul started great, and he ended badly. What we want to do is our goal is to start really good and to finish Really good. I mean, just, let's just do it. The third person I want you to think about is David, the great king of Israel. He is a man after God's own heart. When I think of David, I, I love him. David, think, David was handsome. David was a warrior. David could play a musical instrument. David wrote 70, at least 75 of the Psalms. He was one of those guys that could do anything. He was just amazing the great king of Israel. And he's called in the Bible a man after God's own heart. When you think of David, you think usually of two things. One, you think of him as a young boy fighting Goliath and trusting God, and we also think of him as an older man, his sin with Bathsheba, and his lack of trusting God. Even though he blew it at certain times, he's still a man after God's own heart. And our goal is to treat on trusting God. See, the difference between Saul and David was when Saul sinned, he didn't turn away from it. When David sinned, he turned away from it and got back to God. That's the difference, and we're going to see it. So we've got them. And so three men, three faithful people. Samuel, we, we want to learn to be faithful, do all for the glory of God. Saul, he started good, but we want to finish good. We want to keep our focus on obeying God, not the circumstances of our life. As we said last week at church, we want to run the race with endurance, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And then David, we want to trust God to fulfill his plan in his way in his time. Listen, when David was running from Saul, he had a number of times that he could have killed Saul. And people said to him, kill Saul, you're supposed to be the king. And he said, in God's time and in God's way. And sometimes we say things like, well, this ought to happen now, and this needs to happen now, and this needs to happen now. And what we need to say, in God's time and in God's way. That's how it works. And so we're going to learn that as we go through it. So there's a lot of really good things there. Now, here's something you might not have thought about. But I want you to see that in this book, there is a foreshadow in God's plan for mankind. Now, watch. Watch this. The transition from judge, which is deliverer, and Savior to king and ruler. Now think about this. The first time Jesus came, he came as the judge, as the deliverer, as the Savior. The first time he came, he came to save us. The second time he comes, he comes as the king of kings 
and the Lord of Lords. So when you think about it, just like the book of Samuel is from the time of the, 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 the Savior to the time of the King, Jesus Christ came the first time as the Savior, he comes the second time as the King. Let's meet Samuel's family. And it's a little bit different than what we think. It's a man who has two wives, and you're not supposed to have two wives. And we're going to see what happens. Remember, we're at a time when everybody does what's right, right in their own eyes. That's the problem. And so we're going to meet this family, and uh, the two wives don't get along. One wife has at least four kids. The other wife has no kids. And the wife of the four kids makes fun of the wife without any kids, and she says things like, you don't have any kids. I got four at least. And they fuss all the time. So that's a great household, don't you think? And so they go to the tabernacle, and the woman without children goes to pray. And while she's praying, she's praying without saying any words, and she's just her lips are moving, and the high priest, Eli, looks down at her and thinks she's drunk and says, what are you doing here, drunk? And she said, I'm not drunk. I'm just pouring out my heart. And he says, okay, whatever you're praying for, may the Lord answer it. And so she goes, he's going to answer my prayer. And she goes back home. We're going to see what happens. That's really more information for next week, but I want you to see it. Well, let's, let's see what happens. Let's start with verse 1. We'll go very quickly. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1, here's what it says. Now, there was a certain man from Ramathim Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tahu, the son of Zer, an Ephraimite. Now, we meet this guy, and his name is Elkanah, and he's living uh, in a city called Ramah. Now, let me put this up for you. It, it, there are three cities called that, but this is the famous one. It's right here. Here's Jerusalem. Here's the little town called Ramah. It's got, sometimes it's got a longer name to it. And then here's Shiloh. Shiloh is where the tabernacle is. Shiloh is where the priests live. Shiloh is where you go offer your sacrifices. You got to remember, nothing's in Jerusalem yet. There is no tabernacle in Jerusalem. There is no temple in Jerusalem. It's all at Shiloh. If you notice, this is called the hill country of Ephraim. And so it says, there was a certain man from the hill country of Ephraim, and they give you the background of who he is. Now, doesn't tell us here, but if you go to First Chronicles chapter 6, he's from the tribe of Levi, which means he helped in the priesthood. He helped. He was supposed to. At age 25, at age 25, if you were a tribe of Levi, you could go and help at the tent, at the tabernacle. So that's what we know about this man. And let, let's see a little bit more information. Look at verse 2. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Pinehah. And Pinehah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, uh, this is a reflection of the society. Two wives. Now, let me just say this. You're not supposed to have two wives. It's hard enough for a man and a woman, when they get married, to communicate and to make it well and do well. If you add another wife, you're going to have some more problems. In fact, a lot more problems. That's why the Bible talked about at the very beginning, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to the wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It didn't say go look for two or three women to connect with. It said look for one. And that's what marriage is. And marriage brings a man and a woman together, and they're supposed to be together. Now, we got a guy here who is a good man. He's got two wives. And you could say, well, everything's probably fine. No, it's not fine. The wives do not get along at all. In fact, they're called adversaries. If you look down at verse 6, it says, Her rival, however, would provoke her. And we realize this is just a reflection of the society. Everybody does what is right in their own eyes. He's got two wives, and they are rivals with each other. And let me tell you what happens. One of the women says, 
I've got sons and daughters, and you have none. I'm blessed by God, and you're not. What do you think the one who has no children does? She starts crying. She, she it breaks her heart. She said, well, I want to have children, and I don't know what's wrong. And so we find out that there's conflict in this house. Would you want to be in that house? No. Hannah means grace. It, we talked about this. We did a study not too long ago on, on grace on Sunday morning, just a one-shot message. And the Hebrew word is hen, and it means grace. It means getting what you don't deserve. That's her name. Teneha means coral. It's the idea of a precious stone. And I want you to notice something. Uh, in verse 2, it says, Peniah had children, but Hannah had no children. Look down at verse 4. When the day came, Elkanah sacrificed. He would bring portions to Peniah, his wife, and to her sons. She's got at least two. And her daughters. She's got at least two. So she had at least four kids. But notice the next verse. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. So when we start this book next week, verse by verse going down it, you're going to meet the family, and you're going to meet the mother of Samuel. He's not born yet. She's the woman who has no kids. And the other wife, they don't get along. They fuss continually. In fact, we're going to see as we look at this next week that the husband, Elkanah, when the wife starts crying, he goes over to her and says, aren't I better to you than having 10 sons? And she looks at him like he's crazy. No, you're not better than 10 sons. And, and, and the bottom line is she needs a baby. She needs a baby. And you know what God's going to do? He's going to give her a special baby. And then later on, he's going to give her even more babies. So we're going to see what God does. So we've looked at the background. We've seen Israel in a time of spiritual decline. They need, they need leadership. We're going to see the three, we're seeing the three famous people in there. And then we get the background of Samuel. So let me give you some applications real quickly and then we'll close. The first one is just let's, let us understand how the Old Testament fits together. If you get an opportunity to like, you know, take, get the, the 412 or the 22 or some of those things and it puts the Bible together for you. In fact, the first five lessons in the 22 study actually take the Bible and break it up in all different parts so you can see how the Bible fits together. This is one of the goals, is we want to study to show ourselves approved to God. A workman need not be ashamed, handling accurately the Word of God. We want to rightly divide the Word of God. You want to know how the Bible fits together. You want to, whenever you look at Samuel, you want to say, okay, Samuel is the time of the judges. You want to know that. You want to know where it fits. You want to know where it fits in history. So let's understand how the Old Testament fits together. The second thing is, let's learn from the lives and the events of this book. There are going to be things in these next, there are going to be things we'll look at it and we'll go, that's horrible. I'm going, yeah, well, that's horrible. And then we're going to look at some things and we'll say, I, I never saw that before. I didn't even know that was in this book. And so there's going to be so many great things we're going to see. We need to learn from the lives and the events of this book. We need to sing about Samuel and his faithfulness. We need to be about Saul. He, he began good, but he failed. Let's begin good and let's keep on going. We need to see about David who trusted God in all events. So as we go through the book, let's learn from the lives of these people and from the events. The third thing is the one we mentioned a while ago. Let's realize that we can see a foreshadow of God's plan in 1 Samuel in the transition from the time of the judges to the time of the kings. Remember, judge is a savior. In the transition from the time of the judges, a savior, to the time of the kings, we see that transition from a deliverer, savior, to king. Think about it. The judge is a foreshadow of the perfect deliverer, Jesus Christ, who came to deliver us from our sin. The king 
The kings are a foreshadow of the perfect King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, who will one day rule the world. So it's going to be some great things as we go through the book. Last but not least, let's not be shaped by the world. Because what we have here is a culture that shapes the people. Here is a priest, or at least a Levite, who is serving, and he's got two wives. And then we actually see Eli, who's the great, who is the, the high priest, and his two sons, and they are so evil. They're doing things so wrong because they, they, they went into it with the culture. We've got to be very careful. We have a culture that tells us you can do whatever you want to do. There aren't any standards, there aren't any values. You say, well, wait a minute. No, no, there is values. There is, but be careful because we can be conformed. That's why the Bible says do not, do no longer be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the, by the word of God. That's why I say this. If you're not consciously being transformed by the word of God, you will unconsciously be conformed to this world, and you won't even know it. You have to consciously decide you're going to take the truths of the Bible, and you're going to live them out, and you're going to believe them, and you're going to know them, and you're going to apply them. If you do not, you will be unconsciously conformed to this fallen world.